This is Real Estate Rookie episode 200. I actually think that's the best thing that Bigger Pockets does. We have so much more work to do to help rookies, but I think I think that we do a pretty close to a world-class job at this point of helping people get started in this business with a realistic assessment about the risks and rewards of real estate. I don't think we sugarcoat it in our rah-rah, this is always the right thing. I think we're very clear about the the trade-offs and the time commitment and the, the leverage risk that you take here um, from that. We always need to do, um, I, th- I think, a, a better job of, of serving those things. But I think we have a, a really, like, what, what is the investor journey is probably a good question, right? What, is a, what does an investor look like when they come into this world? My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, information, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing career as a real estate rookie. So uh, before we dive in, I just want to highlight uh, a recent review that came in. This one came from Zeissy D. And Zeissy says, solid show. It's very informative and fun to listen to. This is now one of my favorite BP podcasts, along with On the Market. Keep them coming. So Zeissy D, we appreciate you. And for all those rookies that are listening, if you haven't yet, please leave an honest rating and review on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Uh, the more ratings and reviews we get, the more folks we can reach. And the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can help. And that's our that's our job here is to help some folks. So Ashley Care, I'm excited for today's episode. Episode 200. So crazy. When I first came on the show, we were at episode 37, I think was my first episode. And now we're, you know, 100 plus episodes beyond that. So man, it's been a fun ride, huh? You guys, I can't believe it. Uh, Episode 200. It's really exciting. And thank you to everyone who has listened to all 200 episodes, or maybe you're making your way through them. Uh, We greatly appreciate it and hope you guys are learning as much as we are by all of the fabulous guests that we have onto the show. And if you think that you would be a great guest on the show, that you are a rookie listener, you've done less than five deals, and you want to come on and tell us not only what you have done, but how you've done it, uh, you can apply at biggerpockets.com forward slash slash guest and um, select the rookie podcast. And we, we'd love to, to check out your application. Uh, so Tony here, um, he is actually going off to Italy tomorrow and is going to be I gone am. for two weeks. And I'm already having separation anxiety from not recording for the next two weeks. So <laughs> it's a getting pretty tense between us right now, knowing this is going to be our last, you know, Zoom call for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, but I've got <laughs> a nice Photoshop. A bunch of times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a nice Photoshop image of Ashley's face. I'm just going to carry around with me and uh, all of our Italian escapades so that way she can feel like she's there. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's perfect. But yeah, but so. the but the but the agreement is it's only you and your crutches. So the photo that I'm carrying around is you on your crutches. <laughs> that way you're you're like crutching and uh you know you got through your little scooter <laughs> yeah through italy well when i did co- go to tennessee to see one of uh tony's short-term rentals i did crutch tennessee my crutches made it pretty far across the country <laughs> yeah, to different right. places seattle <laughs> denver uh, so mine made it to coachella i took my my cast or not my cast <laughs> my boot and my, my crutches to coachella and I, I would not recommend that if you guys ever have a decision like if you're ever on a, on crutches and you have to decide about going to coachella or not going to coachella highly recommend not going because it was like the biggest pain in the butt yeah there's also an instagram video i don't know if it's on tony's or sarah's instagram <laughs> of how miserable tony was on this. Yeah. <laughs> crutches 
we're, anyway, th- we're, we're not here to t- through his, his Instagram feed to find that. <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're not here today to talk about Coachella or crutches. We're here to talk about Scott Trench. Um, so many of you may know Scott is uh, the CEO of Bigger Pockets. So he started off as, a, as an employee like so many others. And over the last eight years, he worked his way up to CEO. So now he's the head honcho and visionary at, uh, at Bigger Pockets. But he's also the author of a tremendous book called Set for Life, which is essentially a guide for, as he describes it, middle income earners that are looking to kind of kickstart their investing career. And uh, they're launching a new version of Set for Life. And it's going to be coming out here soon. So we figured it'd be a good call to bring Scott onto the show and, and kind of give it his, get his insights on how rookie investors today can get started. Yeah. And even if you've already started investing or you know, like you're set to go, you're good to go and you don't think that you need his book, this book Set for Life is a great graduation gift. This is what I, any graduation party I go to, I give a Scott's book to the person graduating because they just, even though they, you know, may not have started their, their full-time job yet, whether they're graduating from high school or college, I think it just like puts that little reminder in their mind. Okay. Like here are some things you can start doing now to set yourself up so that when you do start getting that W2 income or whatever your job is, you can go ahead and start getting into real estate investing. So he uh, went through the the book first released five years ago, and he's since then has um, grown older and wiser and has kind of revamped it and just tweaked some things that he thought um, he could explain better into the book. So it might even be worth going back and rereading if you've already checked it out. So that is the book Set for Life by Scott Trench, and it is available in the Bigger Pockets bookstore. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. 
or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you start off telling everyone who you are and a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. So um, my name is Scott. I'm the uh, uh, CEO here at Bigger Pockets. Um, been here at Bigger Pockets. I just I'm com- coming up to my eighth year anniversary here at Bigger Pockets. Joined in 2014. Was a big fan of Bigger Pockets before I ever joined. Um, I co-host the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. And I am an author of two books for Bigger Pockets, uh, the Set for Life, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, and then First Time Home Buyer. Um, but I forget what that second book is actually about at this point in time. So, Scott, obviously you're you're super successful today, right? CEO of Bigger Pockets. Obviously, we all know what what BP is. You're the guy pulling the strings behind all the curtains. Uh, author of multiple books. You've got a real estate portfolio, so you're you're doing well today. Um, but I, I want to go back to Scott, maybe when he first started at BP, uh, we'll, like, tell us what the kind of picture for Scott looked like and how things have changed, uh, since then. Yeah. So I, I would say I, when I, when I joined, zooming back to 2013, when I started my career, I, I joined a company called uh, dish network and I was a financial analyst and I did not want to be a financial analyst. I saw the career track ahead of me and I was like, I do not want that. I want to become financially free and live my own life. And so I actually stumbled across a blog called Mr. Money Mustache uh, at first, which tells you how to become uh, financially free through stock investing and frugality. And I was like, that sounds great. I'm going to definitely do that. I dove head first, but I wanted to invest more aggressively. And so I I also, the idea of real estate alerted to me, and I I eventually stumbled across the Bigger Pockets podcast, became a member of Bigger Pockets, joined the community, actually met my agent on Bigger Pockets. Her name was Mickey. um, And she sent me a couple of duplexes back in 2014. And around that same time, I also met the founder of Bigger Pockets, Josh Storkin. I met him because the podcast had told me, go network with local real estate investors and get to know them in your community. And one of those local real estate investors I happened to be networking with shared the same co-working space as Josh. Uh, and so I saw a bigger pockets logo. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I listened to your podcast. You've changed my life. Look at all these things you're doing. Um, can I come work for you for free on the weekends or in some way help you? Cause I just, I just knew bigger pockets was this special thing at that point in time. And, um, he remembers it differently, but I remember him saying something to the effect of go away, kid. We don't, what are you doing? You're bothering me in the middle of my work day. Um, so I followed up six more times and then he eventually offered me a job, um, as the director of operations. So at that point, the, the full-time employees were like himself, Brandon Turner, we had a couple, a contractor, um, an engineering role, and we had a uh, um, uh, Dave Visaya, who uh, still still works with the team in a contracting capacity, editing our our, our podcasts. Um, so that was the team when I when I joined back in 2014. Scott, do you think that joining Bigger Pockets helped you build your real estate portfolio? For somebody who's maybe looking to get into real estate, do you recommend that they apply for jobs at Bigger Pockets or other kind of, you know, even property management companies or other places that are already involved in real estate to really help them get their foot in the door? So actually, I I um I was looking for a different job in a general sense because I knew that hey, 
becoming a financial analyst and getting a promotion to financial analyst too, and then senior finance manager and so on and so forth would be too slow in from a career standpoint to get me to where I, I wanted to go. So I actually had two job offers at the time when I joined Bigger Pockets. One was at Bigger Pockets, and the other was at a brokerage. I would have gotten my real estate license and um, been selling real estate. And so I like to think that that because um, I have a peer who actually did that, uh, took that job um, and 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 did really well um, and would have had had a good career. So I like to think that that would have been a good option. Um, as well. But I think, so I think, yes, I would recommend that folks get into that career. But ironically, I think I would actually own a lot more real estate and be much more active as an investor if I hadn't joined Bigger Pockets as an employee, because I've poured my heart and soul into th- building this business. Like oh, I, I obsess over the business, um, obviously during the 40 hours full, regular week. And then again, when I, I you know go home and then in the shower and all that kind of stuff. So I really haven't taken on fix and flip projects or burrs the way that I think I would have if I had gone in to becoming an agent, paradoxically. So I do own um, 13 doors today and and have built a, a small a small portfolio, but um, not the size that I probably would have if I didn't work here. I think that you are in an interesting position because you get to see kind of the whole picture of who the Bigger Pockets members are. And that gives you the opportunity to see, okay, what do the members need? So for us, you know, everybody listening here is, you know, most likely a rookie, maybe doesn't even have their, their first deal yet. What are some things that, you know, someone as a rookie investor that you have seen coming to the bigger pockets community, what can bigger pockets provide for them? What can, you know, we do for them to help them get started? Yeah, so I, I actually think that's the best thing that Bigger Pockets does. We have so much more work to do to help rookies, but I think I think that we do a pretty close to a world class job at this point of helping people get started in this business with a realistic assessment about the risks and rewards of real estate. I don't think we sugarcoat it in our rah rah. This is always the right thing. I think we're very clear about the the trade offs and the time commitment and the, the leverage risk that you take here um, from that. We always need to do, um, I, th- I think, a, a better job of, of serving those things. But I think we have a, a really like, what what is the investor journey? Is probably a good question, right? What is a, what is an investor? look like when they come into this world. Well, I, I have this idea of real estate investing. I want to begin learning about it. I know it's risky. I'm going to spend 500 hours learning about real estate prior to making my first investment. And I'm going to do that by immersing myself in this world of podcasts or videos or books or forums or Facebook groups or whatever. And I think what Bigger Pockets offers those folks is this ability to do that for free, right? And the way we're able to do that is because we make money selling ads um, or selling books um, or very low cost products. And then after 500 hours, maybe six months to a year and hundreds of hours of self-education, building up your financial position, getting good credit, those types of things, folks decide now's the time to make that investment. I'm, I'm going to commit. And that's not, I haven't actually bought my property, but I've decided to actually make that investment in the next 30, 60, 90 days, maybe 180 days. And that's a big moment um, for us as well, because that's when people start actually analyzing deals, meeting their agent, meeting their lender, meeting meeting uh, peers, maybe um, um, investing in tools that they can use to build that to build that business, right? And then they get that first deal, and then guess what happens? Um, they're out of money. Um, so not, not everyone's, um, um, uh, able to, to immediately scale up. So a lot of folks will need a year or two or three to buy that next property and save up to buy that next one. And so that's kind of the investor journey. And what we're trying to do here at bigger pockets is serve people throughout that investor journey with a particular emphasis on helping people get started in the game. 
Scott, and I think, you know, like, like so many investors, my journey started the same way, right? Where I was looking for passive income and I, you know, Googled how to get rich or something like that. And you land on real estate investing. And then you, 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 uh, you know, you want to figure out all these different real estate investing strategies. You Google something and then something from the bigger pockets forum shows up in the Google search results. And then you spend the next, I don't know, however many hours of your life <laughs> going down this rabbit hole that is the, the bigger pockets forums. Um, but I, I want to kind of go back to you, to you at the beginning, Scott, right? So we know that right now you, you said you You've got 13 doors, been investing for a while. Um, but, you know, obviously your book Set for Life is is about the, the, I guess, like the framework or like the operating system someone should implement into their own life to be able to set themselves up to eventually uh, invest in real estate. So if we go back to, to Scott back in, you know, 2013, 14, when you first started out, what did your kind of, uh, I guess, like financial discipline look like? What were some of the habits you had that you feel have kind of set you up for the life that you have today? Yeah. So when I when I graduated college and started my job in 2013, I didn't have any financial habits. I didn't have. I I, I was naturally not going to spend a lot of money, but I was maybe you know I was making forty eight thousand dollars a year. I was maybe spending three thousand dollars, thirty three hundred dollars a month. I paid five hundred bucks for rent. Had a brand new 2014 Toyota Corolla. Um, bought at the end of 2013 because you can do that. Um, and then uh, uh, maybe you know spent. Bought my, most of my own groceries, ate whatever. But when I discovered Mr. Money Mustache, that's when I became really frugal and was able to cut my expenses steadily down from that like thirty five hundred to probably two thousand dollars a month, um, even with my rent payments included in there, because um, I was, you know, making I was investing in basic things like cooking. I'm like literally, that's a big investment for somebody who's getting started in their career is is not eating out every day. I'm going to actually learn how to cook and buy a reasonable food from reasonable grocery stores and those types of things. And steadily, I was able to cut those expenses bit by bit. And so over the course of that first year on that $48,000 a year salary, I'd started with maybe $3,000 in cash left over. Um, actually, I went on a little backpacking trip around Europe. Um, I was actually talking about this with Tony right before the recording here, um, uh, both you guys on this. On, um, but that, so I, I had $3,000 after that backpacking trip, and that's where I started with. And by the time I closed my property, I had about $20,000 in total cash. And I used $12,000 of that to buy a $240,000 duplex here in Northeast Denver. Uh, and that was kind of a, the game changer, right? Because that duplex generated eleven fifty dollars in rent from the other side, um, which is $1,100 plus two cats at $25 a month each, and then $550 in rent um, for my roommate. And the mortgage is $1,550. So I'm, you know, after utilities and those types of things, I'm close to break even. And that's really the, the kind of catalyst um, that really kind of began turbocharging things. I also switched from uh, that job at Dish Network to Bigger Pockets, and I went from making $48,000 to $50,000 a year, which is a big raise for me um, and helped me save another, another <laughs> what, $800 to $1,200 a year on that front. So. That was that was my situation, kind of entering into the game. Yeah, and, and you you touched on something that I want to I want to drill down into a little bit, right? So there there were kind of two schools of thought when it comes to achieving financial success. You've got like, and I'm going to choose two guys like on the opposite end of the spectrum. It's the the Dave Ramsey approach where he's all about you know cutting expenses and couponing and beans and rice and you know very strict budgeting. And then you've got like Grant Cardone on the other side that says you don't need a budget, just make more money, right? Where, where do you kind of fall on that spectrum? Like, I guess let me, let me pose a question this way. Can someone build massive wealth quickly by only focusing on saving? Like, how do you kind of strike that balance between the two? I, I think that 
having low expenses and having readily accessible cash in your life is directly correlated with the ability to earn more income. And so here's what I mean by that, right? I saved $20,000, $17,000 in that first 10 months after after starting my career, right? And that meant that I was spending $2,000 a year and I had $17,000 saved up. So I had the option at that point in time to leave my high paying, my, my moderately paying job after college and take a job as an agent, for example, or at a startup called Bigger Pockets, right? And that option does not exist for somebody who's spending $45,000 and making $48,000 a year, right? It's just not, it just does not compute. Um, so I think that they're directly related. And I think that for the median income earner with no assets, the wealth creation journey begins by spending less because that enables you to have a lower floor for the expenses you, you need your business or endeavor to generate. And it allows you to amass some cash with which to begin playing a game. It's just that much easier to, to get these partnership deals or these other types of things. If you have a little cash to throw out the situation, strong credit and those types of things, and don't need much, don't need a lot of income right away, right? It's very hard to convince people from a partnership perspective, I think, uh, if you want to get paid a salary um, and, and have these other expenses right away um, from that. It's hard to think long-term without that fundamental in place. So I think it's I think it's directly related. There are four things you have to do to build wealth. You have to earn more, spend less, invest or create assets. And so I was determined to do all of those things um, in as rapid succession as I could to get started on my journey. Uh, and I think that the beginning of that starts with frugality or spending less because you can control that immediately. And it has such a powerful freeing impact on your on the options you have to pursue with your career or business. It gives you cash to begin investing. And then absolutely, it's about using that strong financial foundation to pursue the highest, the best, inc- or a good income opportunity for you downstream, which for me... I thought was bigger pocket. I couldn't explain why I thought bigger pockets was a good bet at that point in time. I was just like, this is a cool company. It's going places, right? I didn't know I would become CEO in a future, future point. I just saw no, this is a, there's something special about this company and what it's doing. And I want to be a part of it. And I know income opportunities will follow that. I, in fact, I've never asked for a raise in my eight years here at bigger pockets, but I can, I, I'm sure you can guess I probably have gotten a few raises over my eight years here at Bigger Pockets. I would hope so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Scott, something you mentioned, man, and, and I've, I've heard this saying, I can't remember who shared it with me initially, but it's always stuck with me. Um, and it was a story about Jeff Bezos. And he was talking about the success of Amazon. And, you know, people said, was it your, you know, your ability to hire the right people? Was it your ability to create cool products? Was it your ability to whatever it was? And he said that he boiled Amazon's success down to one thing. And it was the fact that they had patient capital. And that stuck out to me so much because it's like, yeah, if I can, if I can have the, the flexibility to get my return over 10 years, that I'm going to be able to beat everybody that gets a return or that needs a return in two years or in five years. And what you said is like the exact epitome of that playing out in real life, where you have the financial flexibility, the financial cushion to take this risk that other people wouldn't have been able to if they didn't have the same kind of financial footing that, that you had. So just a, just a really, really great example, uh, Scott, of playing that out in real life. 
I think that's great. And let's play that to the next level where you see all these folks becoming financially free, but like they, they start their journey and it takes them three years or seven years to buy their first two properties. And then they're off to the races. Why is that? Well, now I'm financially free or very close to it. Lots of flexibility. And I can afford to play longer, bigger, riskier games with this next pool of capital. And it just takes transports me to a whole nother level because I've, I've met this baseline of flexibility in my life. And I think that we see, we see a lot of people achieving that. Maybe that's been true to some extent in your stories um, for, for you guys. I don't know. Scott, I want to talk a little bit about your book, Set for Life. So it's been five years since you have written the book and you have gone through and kind of updated it and revamped it now that you're five years older, uh, still the same good looking guy from five years ago. No physical appearance has aged, but also you're wiser and you probably have learned some things over these five years and also the economy has changed. The markets have changed. There's been a lot of changes in the last five years. So what are some of the things that you have put into your book that may be different than the first one? And actually, before you answer that, who is the book set for life for? Who is the ideal reader of this book? Yeah. So set for life is, is for the median income earner who is starting with zero um, essentially. So it assumes you have no debt and no assets and you're in a median income. How do you go from that position to financial freedom in as rapid a time period as possible, right? Or, or, or financial flexibility in as rapid a time period as possible. Um, and I wrote the book in, in 2016, 20 and launched in 2017. Um, because I thought that there was not a good answer to that question. I thought that a lot of, a lot of books had been written by folks who had already been there and done that and were way past that point and thought really big from, Hey, I've got to invest or, you know, uh, raise cap- all these different things that are inaccessible in a practical sense to many middle, middle-class wage earners with no assets. And the reason I wrote it at that point in time was because I had, I, I was in it, had just done it and felt like, and I was dogmatic and obsessed about this world of financial freedom. And I thought that only somebody who had, who is actively going through that can understand the, the intensity of the, of this grind period of building wealth and getting to the other side of the rat race at that point in time. And so what, what you, what you get with set for life is this, um, very clear, Hey, I'm going to spend, save my first $25,000 through frugality. Then I'm going to use that $25,000 in low baseline expenses to build my next $100,000 in wealth. And I'm going to do that by changing jobs, combining that with a house hack. And now I have this opportunity to begin using my, turning my housing into an asset and earn a lot more income at this new career field that has the potential to scale, but may come at the cost of a cushy base salary to some degree. And then after that, once we have $100,000 liquid, now we can begin making serious investments or $100,000 liquid and the ability to accumulate forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 liquid on an annual basis. Now I can begin a system of investing that will inevitably lead me to the wealth that I want in the passive cash flow. Um, so that's what I wrote, and that's that's what I, I, I what I believed at the time. I still believe that, and I, I look back and I and I read it, and I was like, "Oof, I am pretty critical of the middle class here." I think I used, you know, I think the word "moron" was in the book. I think "ridiculous" was used ten times to describe choices that folk, and and there was a lot of tactical and nuance missing, right? I'm I'm all never use a retirement account. Um, from this right in the in the early stages, right? And why shouldn't you use a retirement account? Well, because you can accumulate this cash um, to use on that first house hack, for example. And the house hack is such a better ROI than 
a retirement account could ever be, right? Or the ability to, to leave my job and at, at Dish Network and join a startup like Bigger Pockets, the ROI on that decision is incredible. And I don't have that freedom if my cash is tied up in a 401k. But I left out that uh, after a few years, you should probably begin uh, investing in that 401k when your cash flow picks back up, right? <laughs> and you should use these tax-advantaged tools. And there's a nuance to that, right? Um, there's, there's this concept as well in the book where... You know, I, I'm like, all these rich people say, uh, hire out jobs, right? Instead of doing it yourself. That's, and that's, that's good advice, right? If you're a high income earner, um, you're silly to fix your own toilet. But what I was trying to communicate, not so effective in the first version, was this concept of if you're earning $50,000 a year, your time is worth $25 an hour before tax, right? So if you're hiring somebody out at $50 an hour, you're negatively arbitraging the value of your time, right? Because you should be spending your time to fix that toilet in that situation, right? But what happens for real estate investors and investors in general over the course of your career is your, inc your time is getting more valuable, right? You own a couple of properties, you're reducing cash flow, you have a job. Now your time might be worth $50 an hour. Now you have a hard choice. Do I hire somebody out at 50 or do I do it myself, right? Some jobs you may have to do yourself. Some jobs you may hire out. And now as CEO, my time is worth much more than that. So I hire everything out, right? And, and that, that concept was not something that I could fully have internalized or, or been able to, to communicate at the point when I wrote Set for Life. So I went back and made a lot of changes to that effect that show the nuance of this, right? Another thing is the goal in life is not to live, to, to achieve financial freedom at $25,000 per year and then spend $25,000 for the rest of your life retired, right? No, like that's not what we want, right? But you, you have to get there, keep that frugality, be happy with it paradoxically, and then stockpile the wealth on top of that. And then that allows you to continue to, to enjoy the benefits of lifestyle um, inflation, which is what we want really, um, is that we want the ability to inflate our lifestyles over time by piling assets um, on over time, not by spending earned income dollars, right? And so again, these lots of these points, um, I think we're, we're missing from the book because they missed the, the zoomed out perspective of what's the journey like long after it's been completed. But the dogma and intensity of, of it is an all out grind, I think, if you want to really get on the other side of the rat race in a short period of time, like a few years, and it's going to be a mental grind. It's going to be something that involves your attention for on the expense side, on the income generations front, thinking deeply about investing, starting a business. Um, that's an all out approach for a couple of years. Uh, and that intensity, I think, is what, what I wanted to preserve while bringing the perspective that I have of being five years removed um, from that inflection point in my journey. Long rant there. Hopefully that was helpful. Though. <laughs> no, that was, that was awesome, Scott. And I, I, I got a couple of comments. And I want to pass it over, pass it over to Ashley after this. But um, the, the last point you mentioned about the grind, that is so incredibly true. And I think it's a part that so many people um, underestimate when it comes to building your own real estate business. You know, in my W-2 job, I was a, you know, senior level manager, had a big team, you know, spread across the nation, very busy guy in my W-2 life. I am exceptionally more busy now working for myself than I was working that W-2 job. And it's like, I was literally telling my wife the other day, I was like, I think we might need to take like a sabbatical or something because we've been going like, you know, a hundred miles an hour every day since I left my job in December of 2020. And it's, it's exhausting. But to your point, Scott, it's like, if you can grind it out 
for that short period of time, it can, it can really, you can truly change your life in, in two years. So I just want to comment on that piece. And then you also mentioned about the, the hiring it out. And I remember Scott, like being in college, right? Like I was a broke college kid and I had these little side businesses that I was running and, you know, trying to hire someone out when you're making like 15 bucks an hour, it's like, who can I afford to, to hire this thing out to? Right. So yeah, I think at the beginning of your journey, you are going to find yourself doing a lot of things on your own simply because you can't afford to do it any, any other way. But as your business starts to scale and, and you you do have some more cash flow coming in, it does become a little bit easier to do that. But th- yeah. what I really wanted to... Oh, I, I was going to chime in. It's actually bad business, in my opinion, to hire things out if, if you're negatively arbitraging the value of your time, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the point that I think a lot of folks are like, I got to hire, I got to be like um, but, but like these guys, you know, and, and, and hire a bunch of people out. Um, no, if your time is worth $15 an hour, you should be doing it yourself. That's good business. You're, you're arbitraging time that you have to pay somebody else $50 an hour for to do that job. And then you should be tracking it over time. Just back of the napkin. I'm going to make a hundred grand this year. Okay. My time's worth 50 bucks an hour, right? I'm going to make, I'm going to make 160 this year. Time's worth 80 bucks an hour. Right. And knowing, knowing that information will help you make good business decisions. Scott, with um, our rookie listeners, um, I understand that you came prepared today with a rookie checklist uh, to provide a lot of value to the listeners today. And this checklist is for somebody who does not have their first property yet. And a very common question to ask yourself is, should I even start investing in real estate right now? The position I am in in my life, my situation, is it a good time to start? Um, so not only with the market, with the economy, but also on your own financials, um, what you look like too financially, are you ready to invest in real estate? And, um, I know a very common one that I'm always asked is I have student loans. Should I pay off my student loans first or should I invest in real estate? So Scott, what do you have for us? Yeah. So, so I, I think this is, this is the question, right? And the reason it's the question, it's always, it's always a major question for investors, but the difference between 2022 and the last five years is that for the first time, most investors think that property prices are going to stay flat or go down with a slight leaning rather than go up over the next year. That doesn't mean that investors think that real estate's a bad investment. They think it's a great long-term alternative to stocks, cryptocurrency, and other alternatives. But there's a there's a real skepticism about whether prices will stay flat or go down. And so that makes this question harder for folks, I think, in, a, in a, an intuitive sense. So yeah, I, I wanted to prepare what I thought was a um, a tough checklist. And if you can say yes to all the items on this, I thought that would be a helpful starting point. Yes, I should invest in real estate. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll skip around a little bit. Actually, I'll, I'll go through it literally, and then I'll get to your question about um, student loans as part of that, if that works. So, you know, there's 10 parts to it. The first one is, do I understand my end game? And is real estate going to be a part of that portfolio I want in that future sense, right? So in three to five years, I want to be, I want to have a million dollar portfolio. What does that portfolio look like? Do I want a completely passive stock portfolio? Do I want bonds in there? Do I want real estate? Right. But like, don't build, don't get started in real estate investing. If you don't have a clear picture of what a portfolio looks like in the financial freedom sense. And if, and if you don't think real estate will be an effective part of that portfolio, very basic question, but something that I think people need to wrap their heads around because very few people that I've talked to, even on the money show podcast, when we have people coming on and asking for advice with goals, they're not clear on what they want from their life in a financial context. And they don't know if real estate would be a good tool in that. There are trade-offs and work and leverage that come with real estate investing and risks um, that are not the same as with stock or bond portfolios or small businesses, um, 
with that. So that's the first first question is, I understand my end game and real estate's going to be an effective part of that journey, right? Second one, I believe that real estate is a good long-term investment for me compared to my alternatives like stocks, bonds, cryptocurrencies, and private businesses. That's the question. What are you going to put your dollars into in 2022 to make money over the next three, five, 10, 20 years, right? And this has been the problem all year. It was, th it was this way before the market started sliding in the last six months um, from, from January. We were asking, it, it's like, do I put my money in stocks with valuations at all-time highs? Do I put my money in bonds with yields at all-time lows? Do I put my money in Bitcoin? Um, that seems pretty scary and risky. That seems a great, million, great way to make a million bucks right now is to start with two and put it in Bitcoin. Um, do, I, do I invest in private businesses? Do I invest in cash, right, with losing value to inflation? There's no good answer to that question um, in, in this year. And so I like to reframe it as, for me, the least bad option is real estate, right? Because I can take out long-term debt that is going to be worth less over time with inflation, and my rents should be indexed to inflation. And we know that the Federal Reserve is going to push for it that 2% inflation over the long term. So it's a good long term bet, in my opinion, relative to, to other asset classes. But you have to answer that question for yourself. If you think that's that's the case, and you have to internalize it. And that may take you a few dozen hours of listening to stuff like this to feel confident in that and go explore those alternatives, like what the Bitcoin people have to say and what the, uh, the what the what the you know, seeking alpha or, or stock investing sites have to say and, and make that decision for yourself as part of this journey, right? Okay, so the third point, and this answers your, your question here, would be um, the context of going all in on your investment property. So do I think you should invest in real estate if you have student loans? I don't know, right? It's a question of, is am I going all in to buy this property? Can this property bankrupt me if things go poorly? If that's the case, you probably shouldn't be investing in real estate. You should have a strong income and a, a strong savings rate, several thousand dollars per month, ideally, and a cushion that allows you to, to put down um, a healthy amount of money and cash flow any problems that come up in your business in the early years, right? If you if, if something goes wrong and that can derail your investment plan, you're doing it wrong in real estate, in my opinion, or you're not investing from a position of financial strength. And you don't need to have that built out to get into this game. You can skip that step by finding a financial partner who has that strong position, right? You can bring in somebody um, who, who, who will guarantee that mortgage, bring the cash and help you get started if you're willing to do the work on that deal. But you should not be investing and going, putting all of your chips in on the table in something that can make or break you because that's not a formula for long-term success. Yeah. The one thing I wanted to comment on is how you said that, you know, you, if you are going to be risking everything to invest in real estate, um, there's definitely ways to get into real estate without putting your family's finances at risk or bankrupting yourself. When I first started, I took on a partner and he actually put in all the cash and helped the mortgage on the property. So worst case scenario, we could not pay the mortgage on that property. It was him, my partner, that was not going to be paid. And he still had lots of cash reserves and um, he would be okay not getting his mortgage payment for a couple months while we figured out, okay, what's our next strategy? What's our next plan? How are we going to exit this property? Uh, so I think looking at different scenarios like that can help you get into real estate too. And not just like, oh, here I go. I'm risking everything and putting all my eggs into one basket. Um, it's definitely something to be cautious of. How, how did you structure things with that partner to make sure that they got a fair return and you were compensated for the work you're going to put in? They definitely got a way better deal, but it's how <laughs> I got started in real estate. But we are 50-50 partners. We started an LLC together. So 
we um, got 50% of the cash flow. And then he was also the the mortgage holder on the property. So he had a, a note payable to himself where he earned a five and a half percent interest and was amortized over 15 years and he received monthly payments. So he was making five and a half percent on his money he put into the property. And then he was also getting 50% of the cash flow. And then I was um, doing the property management on the property and I had found the deal and did all the work and he was completely passive pretty much. Awesome. So we did that for about three properties and then we kind of restructured a little bit how our partnership worked. And there have to be so many people out there who'd be absolutely thrilled with that type of, of situation. But and, and more importantly, mm-hmm. now you don't have to go all in in a way that if that if the market had slid 15% and you lost the property, that might have been it for your real estate investing journey at that point in time. I don't, I don't know. But that that's yeah. you can't risk that. We want to be in this business for 30 years. You can't go all in at any point in time um, where a downturn can, can wipe you out. You have to play for consistency. We're going to average um, three, three, four percent appreciation long term um, with ups and downs in this business. Um, if, if at least that's what I believe, and that's going to be leveraged three, four to one, and that's where our returns are going to come from over a long period of time um, as as real estate investors. And that all that works really well as long as you don't go bankrupt. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. 
Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. I want to I want to add one other comment, uh, Scott, to to what you mentioned about uh, stocks and crypto and all these other investment strategies, how they relate to to real estate. The reason I love real estate investing is because I am almost one hundred percent in control of how that asset is going to perform. Right, I'd say like ninety five percent in control. There are always some you know bigger macroeconomic things that are happening that are going to impact the, the economy. But for the most part, you as the owner are in control of how that asset is going to perform. Um, in my day job, I worked at Tesla and a big part of our compensation was company stock. And I like I literally remember like like Elon could tweet something crazy and the stock would swing like 10% that day. Like nothing else changed in the company. We didn't produce more cars. We didn't have a good day. We didn't have a bad day. Simply because Elon tweeted something crazy, the stock would swing. And I would see this happening. It would just like play with my emotions. And it just made me fall even more in love with real estate. Because if I go out and I buy a property that's old, beat up, need some love, I put some money in it to rehab it, I furnish it up really nicely, I put it on Airbnb, I put it on Verbo. I, I can say with a certain level of confidence that I know I'm I know I'm going to get this kind of return on my money. So I I just, you know, I, I know a lot of people kind of go back and forth and obviously there are benefits to both, but for me personally, what I love about real estate is is the control aspect. Tony, how how many um hours of self education did you put in prior to coming to that conclusion? Oh, I don't know. It's almost like unquantifiable. Hard to even No, I mean, hundreds probably easily. Two hundred and fifty, five hundred, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, Maybe probably. Plus. Yeah, probably more than that, honestly. So I think that's another another checklist item here, right? That that's that's a thing. Like you you have to be willing to put it. That is absolutely true. I completely agree with what you said there. Um, for the most part, I think there are market things that um, we have to be cognizant of. Like the, the long term appreciation rate of our local market, three four percent, will be interrupted or accelerated based on things like Federal Reserve policy, market dynamics that we, can't, we think we can anticipate and sometimes can't. But the value of the property in terms of forced appreciation and the way that you operate your business and produce cash flow. Most of that, the 80-20 of this is under our control um, as investors. Mm-hmm. But you're only going to feel that way, or you should, on- you should only feel that way, if you've put in those several hundred hours of learning about this thing, not just by consuming content like this passively, but also by actively engaging with local people uh, in your market, networking, meeting those professionals, that type of stuff. Um, and then you can have this the, the total swagger, well-deserved, that Tony has in terms of feeling like he's completely in control of his investment, because that, that should be true at that point in time. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that's another item here you have to have is that, is that, is that willingness to put in that time um, to, to, to figure this business out. Yeah, they say repetition is a mother of skill, right? And it's like the more you, the more you consume, the more you read, the more you do, I think the more confident you become in, you, in your own abilities. And what, what holds so many rookies back is that lack of confidence. Absolutely. And, and again, the only way to build that confidence, I think, is putting in the time. Well, a couple more things here on strong financial position, right? So we, we talked about the strong, I don't have to go all in, but I think there's two other parts to your financial position that are important as a rookie investor. And one is one is a, a, a foundational point, which is a strong credit score. If, if you have a bad credit score, um, I think that's a really good thing to fix before getting into this business, right? Or to at least find a partner to, to that can that can solve that problem for you while you're getting into this business, because you're going to miss out on the key advantage of small mom and pop residential real estate investors, which is probably most rookies that are listening to this, which is the ability to get a 30-year fixed rate, low interest mortgage insured by Fannie Mae, like an FHA loan or a conventional loan um, to buy a property. That's a massive advantage that you are missing out on if you have a bad credit score because you're paying so much penalty in the form of higher interest rates on that. So fix that problem first. Again, very basic situation, very very basic financial thing, but something I think you should you should reflect on and think hard about before getting into real estate on your own. Real quick, do you just have like some quick tips as to how to even start fixing your credit score? If somebody is in that position, they're like, I've been paying on time, you know, I had mistakes in the past, but how do they, they, are there any like little tricks to like build it up faster than? Yeah. Well, I I think, you know, for the, for the most part, um, what I find it with the really bad credit scores, um, it's, it's usually about a six month to a year long process to get to above 700 in most cases. Uh, even if you're starting from a really bad position, we just had my buddy Andrew come on the bigger pockets money show podcast actually released on Monday, July 4th, um, the day before we're recording this show. Uh, and he started out, uh, he was a rugby buddy of mine. He started out with a 400 credit score. Um, and, 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 and we were at a social or something and he just heard that I'd bought my second property. He was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. So we, we started working on his credit situation and within like a year, he was able to move that to 700 plus the, the highest 600s. And it's, and it's as simple as getting your credit card statements, tracking, un- understanding the problems. Like a lot of full, if you have a really bad credit score, often that's reflective of you not even knowing what accounts you owe on having mistakes on there not tracking that once you get the basics applied and you're beginning to make the minimum payments in a regular basis on those 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 uh, core payments, you should be able to get north of 700. Then it's a years long journey to move March up from 700 to the 800s uh, and get into that like truly excellent range. But you should get into that good range, I think within a year to 18 months in most cases with a couple of exceptions with that. But it's as simple as pay attention, have a strong cash reserve, increase your credit card limits so that you're using less of those credit card uh, those credit card amounts on a general basis and make sure that you're on time with all your payments going forward and it should begin to correct itself fairly quicker than you think within a year and slower than you think in terms to get to go to good and slower than you think to go from good to excellent I think. Scott, what are your thoughts on like those uh, credit repair services? You know, there's the the guys and girls on uh, social media saying, "Hey, I'm the credit repair guru." Like, is there some legitimacy to those types of services, or is it maybe a, a waste of people's money? Um, I think I think if you really want to move quickly, maybe some of those could be good. I would bias against it though. I think that you're you're likely to get. Um, there, there, I think a lot of this is just hard homework that you're going to have to do bit by bit. If you're totally financially illiterate. Um, you first of all have no business getting into real estate investing and, and investing someone else's money, like a partner's money, um, on that front. Um, 
but maybe that would be helpful for you to actually have a coach walking you through that. But if you're, if you're going to get, try to get into the game of real estate investing, which involves learning about understanding cash flow analysis, what CapEx is, um, how to, how to manage contractors who are not going to show up on time. You need to be able to figure out what is affecting your credit score and begin fixing that. Um, that's, that's invest time you need to invest in my opinion. Um, frankly, I think that's a DIY job, um, for the most part. Exceptions would be if you earn huge amounts of income and you had some catastrophic event like a divorce or something like that happen that wiped out your credit score, right? So, but if you're a median income earner or a little bit higher and you have bad credit, that's a, that's a, I think it's a DIY fix in my opinion. I don't know. I feel like, um, I'm not sure if, uh, if I see any value for the most part in what those, those, uh, credit gurus are, are offering folks. Um, I've, like I've seen, you know, I've seen some of what they offer and a lot of it seems to be that they're just like, Hey, I'm going to try and call and dispute this delinquency for you. I'm going to try and get this thing removed from your credit score. And I don't, I've just seen like a lot of bad actors in that space. So I just want to caution people against, you know, choosing, choosing the right person. If you do, if you do go down that route. Yep. I think that. Yeah. So Scott, I know you have some more outside of uh, credit scores as well. So what, what else you got for us? All right, let's talk about cash. Um, what do you need? What kind of cash do you need to buy um, buy real estate? And I think that the there are four components to the way I would think about cash. What, one is the down payment. You need to have the down payment. The down payment doesn't have to be 25%. It could be 3%. It could be 0% if you're using a VA loan. But you need to be able to bring that down payment, um, I think, in cash, either yours or somebody else's to that, to that deal. You need to have cash for anticipated closing costs that are not going to get wrapped into your mortgage. Right, so you need to plan for that. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna buy a house hack and I'm gonna bring fifteen thousand dollars in cash for the down payment, I need another five for the closing costs on top of that. I also need cash for my anticipated repair costs that I don't have baked into my financing model. Right, so if I'm gonna bring ten thousand dollars in known repairs, I need that in addition. So now I'm up to twenty five thousand dollars in cash for this fictional duplex I'm inventing. Right, and then I need a cushion on top of what I know I'm going to spend, right? And I think that should probably be in the ballpark of ten dollars to $15,000 minimum for the investor buying that first property. Again, this can be stuff that you get access via a partner, but um, Mindy Jensen, the co-host of BP Money, likes to say, likes to joke that the um, amount of the expense, the unanticipated expenses you're going to have um, or the amount that you're going to go over budget by in your rehab project is inversely correlated with the amount of reserves you have set um, after the known expenses, right? So if you if you have your $15,000 in cash on top of the down payment, closing costs, and rehab costs, you're not going to have anything unexpected happen, and you're going to be just fine, right? That's obviously a joke. So we'll definitely have those problems. But if you don't have that cash, that's when you're going to run, run into unknown problems and be scrambling for a long period of time. And this business is going to suck cash out of your life um, in a way that's going to be really unhealthy and make you resent it rather than put cash back into your life, which is the reason we get into this business in the first place. And so I think that's really important to think through the cash position here from a financial perspective. That's why it's so important to go and get that pre-approval before you even start putting offers on properties, because I think it can be kind of sticker shock when you see what those closing costs actually add up to. Um, If you look at the 0% down VA loan. That doesn't mean you're going and buying a property with 0% down. Um, you still have to pay those closing costs. There are some like programs where you can get those paid for you, but you should expect to pay them, you know, the fees to the bank, the, the appraisal fee, um, and then also paying your insurance and your property taxes a year in full. That's a pretty good chunk of change there, mm-hmm. especially if you're in New York state where property taxes are through the roof. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I think you're going to be in trouble if you don't have five figures in liquidity 
in cash that you can access, not in your HELOC, not in a line of credit in cash, um, because you're going to need that cash when it's going to be hardest to access the financing um, at, a, at a future point for you, right? That's just how it's going to go. And I think that's a really good thing but to buying your first property. I think that's really important. Uh, again, if you don't have it, find a partner who can who can bring it to the, the table. All right, let's let's move on from the finance side of things and think about. Um, um, t- we talked about time, but let's also talk about um, ability, right? I think that there's a uh, for most real estate investors, right? You're probably starting out in this business with a median income, fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars per year, right? Value your time. Your time is valued at twenty-five dollars an hour. I don't mean value your time isn't hire everything out. I mean value it accurately and make a decision based on that. That is a good use of that time, right? So that means that for most people who are buying that first property, it's going to be a good idea to DIY that property, especially if it's if it if it's at all practical in your local market, for example, right? And you're going to have the time and inclination to learn those skills to do basic rehab basic property management, those types of things, and get that property set up in the early days for that property, right? So that's an additional time investment on top of the time that you're putting in to learning this business from an educational standpoint. And I think that having those skills is incredibly valuable. You you better believe that I DIY repaired my first duplex, right? I'm staining cat. I didn't, there are certain projects that I hired out. I didn't do a major plumbing overhaul. I paid three grand for that, but I'm staining my cabinets. I'm in the blinds. I'm doing the painting. I'm I'm fixing lots of different various problems around the place. Um, poorly doing the landscaping, all that kind of stuff to get things started. Um, because that's my that that's the good that's a good use of my time. I'm self managing that property uh, at that point in time. And not until I had I think ten units did I begin hiring out uh, those those jobs instead of doing it myself because it would have been negative arbitrage for my time. I probably waited a little too long, actually, but um, I, I probably could have hired it out a little bit sooner, but um, that, that concept I think is really important. So what do you guys think about DIY uh, as part of the, as, uh, being a willingness to be able to do DIY more specifically in the early part of the, the hold period? Well, I think that if you want to be a DIY landlord, uh, you should check out the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Boot Camp. A uh, new landlord one is coming out. So you can go to biggerpockets.com forward slash boot camps. Um, and we're going to go through learning how to self manage your very first investment property. Yeah, that, that'll be awesome. And who's that, who's that going to be led by? Me. Awesome. Great plug. And now we're back from our commercial, <laughs> Tony. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, I started my investing journey, like I said, with a, a, a very busy W-2 career. Uh, my my initial investments were over 2,000 miles away from my home. So it wasn't uh, realistic for me to try and do any sort of, of DIY uh, work myself. And I just, I don't have the skill set. Um, so based on my financial position and my time commitments outside of real estate investing, I had to find a way to make sure that I had a good handyman, like on staff that was able to, uh, manage most of those maintenance concerns as they popped up. And what, what was the, what, what would you say the value of your time was when you started investing in real estate? Um, I don't know. Like when I, when I got that first job, I was making like a hundred grand a year. So I don't know what that breaks down to like per hour, but whatever that was, you know, yeah, that'd be about, you can, you can just do some, you can usually divide those numbers by two. And then yeah. drop a couple of zeros, so that'd be fifty dollars an hour, right? Two thousand yeah. hours in a work year divided by a uh, hundred thousand or hundred thousand divided by 
2000 hours. So that'd be $50. So I would argue that you're kind of in that upper range for a lot of like compared to where I was. I'm getting started on my journey, right? I'm, I'm earning $25 an hour at that point in time, right? So it's a diff- it's different math depending on that yeah. situation. You also owned a lot of Tesla stock, um, which probably influenced the, uh, the, the, the um, value of your time in spite of the the volatility of it that you mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, most definitely. I mean, and it helps, you know, but that, that was the decision that we had to make is like, hey, we're only going to be able to do this if we can also afford to hire out the work when it needs to be done. And Ashley, did you do a lot of the work yourself when you got started? Yeah, I mean, I was only making $20 per an hour at my job as a property manager. So I think it definitely helped and was a benefit that my day job was property management and I was building a property management company for somebody else. So I just kind of rolled my properties into that and that was beneficial. But even still today, I fired a contractor a couple of weeks ago and the I just couldn't get anybody in there. So me and my kids went the one day, we did some painting, we got the ready for new flooring and then the new contractors came in. But just us doing that one day of a little bit of work that we couldn't really find anyone to fit into that space of tedious things. So just us going in and doing that to get these other contractors came in, just like kept our project moving. So even today, I'm still super DIY if I have to, if it keeps <laughs> keeps the project moving and you know, um, stay on track. So no, I, I love that. I, I have a similar example. The, the, a few years ago, there was some squirrels running around the attic, one of my rental properties and the contractor quoted me like $2,000 to patch the hole and get the squirrel out of there. And I'm like, this is going to cost me 60 bucks and take me an hour and a half. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, even though I don't like to do a lot, those types of things anymore, obviously, you know, my time is not worth a thousand dollars an hour, um, at, at this point. So, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do that job myself. And so I think that's a, another good use case for this, um, especially um, for folks who are starting out in that lower income range, um, below the 100000 probably that Tony was making there. This is a really good thing to do because it will, throughout your career as an investor, you'll have the ability to to call BS on, on some of these situations when somebody's not doing a good job and just say, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and do this one myself um, because that those individual cases will be good arbitrage. Um, from your time, from a time perspective. Okay, we have we have two more points in the checklist um, here. One is one is uh, I have a strong economics foundation, so I have a basic ability. I like, and and this is where we can get into like a checklist of terms, right? I understand what IRR means and how to com- calculate that. I understand what net present value or NPV is, cash and cash return, um, ROI in a general sense, compound annual growth rate, and. You have you you understand those and have a preferred way to compare investment opportunities, right? You're not just comparing. I like this duplex better than that one. It's no, I'm look. I am going after IRR in my investment, and I'm going to choose the property that's going to produce the best IRR for me. Or I like cash flow, and I'm going to go after cash on cash um, return um, from on a, in a hold perspective. I'm going to use that to compare investment opportunities. If you're not sophisticated enough to understand those terms and have a preferred mechanism for comparing investment opportunities, you're going to be shooting randomly at the deals that can come into your, and you're not going to get a quality um, target to go after in terms of your investment portfolio. And then lastly is, is understanding, um, last in, in economics is understanding this concept of how macro factors like supply, demand, and interest rates at a high level will impact your business, right? We've had 10 years of low or lowering interest rates with a couple of blips over that time period. And for the first time in 10 years, 10, 12 years, we're seeing interest rates steadily rise, 
that impacts real estate investing. And if you are not able to internalize that uh, and understand how that will impact real estate investing, even with the puts and takes that supply and demand will ha happen, there's you're, you're putting yourself at a major risk. And that's why um, I think a lot of people are questioning real estate at a high level is because they don't understand that and don't don't feel comfortable with explaining that to their friends or family. Uh, if you can explain that to your friends and family, I think you're going to be in a good, a good position um, to talk about um, whether real estate's a good bet for you. And then last, I promise this is the last one, is understanding your local market, like an expert, right? You understand the rules and regulations. You understand that in Denver, they just changed the rule where you can have uh, three unrelated, up to three unrelated parties living in a property together. They in increased that to five. So now you can do rent by the room on five bedroom single family houses, where you can only do that on three bedroom single family houses economically a few years ago. You understand that in Wheat Ridge, which is a neighboring town for Denver, Airbnb is perfectly fine. But in Denver, you can only Airbnb if you're an owner occupant and you can only do it for a certain percentage of the year, right? And those rules impact the strategies that you're going to that you're going to employ. You understand where the investment is going, right? In Denver, Colorado, they're trying to open up this area called Rhino as the gateway to Denver. They're investing billions of dollars into parks and new new infrastructure here to make this part of town look good. Why are they, and why are they doing that? What's their intent? How's that going to impact zoning and what types of properties do I want to buy? If I buy here in 5 years, I'm going to be the edge of this park. Um, what's that going to do to, to, to values there and desirability? Understanding that path of progress is key. And you can do that by spending some time on your local city's website. You can go to local meetups. You can ask investors in the forums about these types of things. But you should be able to speak like an expert to what's going on in your local community and where the ins and outs are. And again, the hard way to do that is to do all the research yourself. The easy way to do it is to meet local mentors um, and get that cheat code from folks who know the market and know where to look at all that stuff up. Scott, we have in Buffalo, uh, Buffalo's business first newspaper that comes out and it's actually pretty expensive to get it sent to your house, but it is a wealth of information about what is going on in real estate, new development, or what's happening with um, city zoning or things like that, different projects that are happening or what people are trying to do in the city. So if your city um, or your market has anything like that, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, Scott, also you kept mentioning your local market, but would the same apply to whatever market you're trying to invest in? Even if that was, you know, for me down in Florida or something like that. Yeah, I should rephrase. It's a strong understanding of the market, the local market to where you're investing. Right. And so, so okay. I, I imagine Tony, for example, you know, the markets that you're investing in very well, but you may not know the place where you live quite as well um, as those areas. I would, I, I could imagine. Actually, actually not at all. Yeah. I don't know anything about investing in my own, my own city. Yeah. But that, that, that's the key is you don't have to, who cares about your own city if you're not investing there, right? If it's, it's where you're investing. Yeah. But that's great. The, the local newspapers are great. Um, again, local investors, um, city council can be great. Th those are, those are all good resources for that. So now, now I'll, I'll caveat something here. I did not check all 10 of these boxes when I started getting, get started investing. And I bet you most investors, um, will not come back and say, I checked all 10 of those boxes, right? I'm, what I'm trying to provide here is a very, um, strict list where like, Hey, are you ready to invest in real estate? Well, you're definitely past that hump. In my opinion, if you can say yes to all the 10 things I just listed there, um, because you're going to be ahead of the game for most 
every real estate investor I've talked to in terms of getting their first property, including myself, right? I was not an expert on my local market. I didn't have, you know, I, I, w- I was well-versed in some of those economics things, right? I had my strong financial position with that, but I couldn't have, I couldn't have articulated my long-term thesis about what, am I, what I want my portfolio to look like in three to five years. So but the, those, if, you want an, if you want something that's to feel like you've totally checked the boxes as a rookie in terms of getting that mindset ready to invest, I think this is a really good starting point for that. Scott, I want to take us to our, our rookie example. Before I do, first, just thank you so much for, for walking through those those 10 steps. I think analysis paralysis is honestly one of the biggest obstacles for folks in our rookie audience uh, in terms of what's stopping them from getting started. And like you said, if you can check even the majority of these 10 boxes, it means you're in a pretty good position to start. Uh, but one thing I want to comment on before we move on is uh, you talked about interest rates. And I, I just want to share with everyone that's listening. If you guys haven't heard, check out uh, the website, or I, I don't know what it is, but it's it's a, it's Fred, Federal Reserve Economic Database. And I just found out about this website, like, I don't know, like a couple months ago. And the amount of information they have on that website about the housing market is insane. Um, and just to, to your point, Scott, about interest rates, if you go onto the Fred website, look up interest rates in the 80s, they were in the high teens. I think it, it peaked like 18.7% for an interest rate for an entire year, which is crazy. Um, so yeah, we even though rates have crept up, we're still in a really good place, historically speaking. So I wouldn't freak out too much. Absolutely. And what does that mean, right? It, it means real estate prices are going to slow down relative to, if you hold the other supply and demand factors constant and interest rates rise, real estate prices are going to rise slower or go down relative to where they would have in a, a constant real estate inv- interest rate environment. It doesn't mean that they'll go down. And and there's a question you have to ask from a long-term perspective, right? Even if real estate were to go down, I'm going to have a lower interest rate today and a lower payment on that property and more cash flow a year or two from now, even if the property value doesn't go up by, by much because I have, I've locked in my interest rate at a lower valuation at this point in time. So lots of things to consider. This is not uncharted territory. It's just the first time we've seen rising interest rates um, to this degree in, in a few decades. Yeah, that website Tony was lo- talking about is uh, fred.stlouisfed.org. Um, and then also all of the information that Scott talked about today, the checklist for rookie investors, whether they should get into real estate right now or not. Um, Scott is actually giving that away as bonus content um, when you purchase his book, uh, Set for Life, at biggerpockets.com forward slash set for life. But he is also being super generous to his favorite rookie listeners. And you are going to get this book um, if you go to the rookie show page, biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie show. And you don't have to be a pro member to get this free or paid. You can get access to it just for listening because we love you guys all so much. So, Scott, um, are you ready for the rookie exam? Let's do it. So for our first question, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? I think you should uh, download the free checklist. And I also have another 6,000 words that I've written that uh, go into detail about what each of those mean um, as part of that as well. So there's both the checklist. Um, But you should download that um, on on the rookie show notes page. Yeah, you guys, it's not just the bullet points Scott highlighted. It's, uh, I read it this morning, it's about 12 pages long (laughs) and um, it's definitely going to be a great read and a, a, a wonderful resource. So make sure you guys check that out. All right, Scott, question number two, what is one tool, software, app, uh, or system that you use in your business today? Well, I, I use a lot of the bigger pockets tools. I use um, the calculators to analyze deals. 
Uh, I use the forums to network with with folks and ask questions and, and get some thoughts, especially in the broader economy and, and local market. Uh, and then one non-bigger pockets tool I use is Buildium. My property manager um, uses Buildium to to manage our, our our properties. Scott, what about something maybe that bigger pockets uses uh, just for maybe project management or communication through? Do you have a, a favorite kind of software maybe for somebody who's building out a team right now that would be valuable to them? For building out a team, well, I think the best thing I think, or just you know, somebody who's building out a team right now and looking for different software that they can use um, for their business. I guess what's something that you you enjoy using within Bigger Pockets? Yeah, I think that company. the tools section of the website you can just hover over the navigation bar and you can find things like mm-hmm. our rent estimator software, property management software tools, our leases, our tenant screening uh, uh, tool. Th- those those types of tools are all available at um, BiggerPockets.com. And you just hover over the the tools part of the navigation section uh, section of the site. And lastly, where do you plan on being in five years? Um, well, if I'm lucky, we'll if I, if I'm lucky, I'll be right here at Bigger Pockets. And Bigger Pockets will what we're trying to do here is build this kind of one stop shop that helps you get started as a real estate investor, buy that first property, manage it, buy three, five, ten more, begin scaling up like Ashley and Tony here, or sell off those properties and begin become a passive investor and syndication funds with your multi, with your millions that you've built. We want to help you build that entire journey and have this kind of mission control center at Bigger Pockets that allows you to tie into your property management, your accounting software, and um, those CRMs to build your build your team and manage your projects. So that that's all available to you in in, in one place um, to help you across that journey. So that's that's where I hope to be in five years is is doing the same thing, but with with uh, much of what I just described there is that one-stop shop achieved. Well, that's exciting. I think we're all uh, really looking forward to that because that will make all of our lives easier too. <laughs> well, thank you guys for all, all that you do. So I want to highlight today's rookie rock star. It is Scott Reynolds, and he just finished the remodel on his second investment property. Uh, this is his first burr and will be closing on the refinance in the next week. He is set to get 100% of his original investment back and is going to go live with the property as an Airbnb. Uh, So congratulations, Scott. Um, He said that he spent about $125,000 total on the remodel. It's a four bed, two bath, 1900 square feet. And he actually made it into a five bed, three bath bath with 2,500 square feet. So that's awesome. Added on a little square footage for another additional bedroom and bathroom. Wow, that's awesome. So if you want to be featured as uh, this week's Rookie Rockstar, make sure you guys check out the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group, uh, join and post your win in there, or you can send Tony or I a message on Instagram at Wealth From Rentals or at Tony J. Robinson. If you guys are loving the podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and tell us how the podcast has helped you. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everyone where they can learn some more information about you and reach out to you? Yeah, the best place is on on Bigger Pockets. You can find me by uh, searching my name in the search bar, and um, I'm always posting to the forums and making new connections. So, love to meet people for coffee, whether that's you flying through Denver um, for the weekend or you live here or nearby. Um, love to meet meet you up and and uh, buy you a coffee or a beer and hear about your story with Bigger Pockets. 
Well, me and Tony will be there uh, August 15th, so I'm sure <laughs> gonna, you can take us out. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have some, some some food and beverages for you guys, so it'll be great to see you. <laughs> oh, we don't, we, every time we come visit, we hit the, the great snack bar at uh, yeah. Beer Pockets headquarters there. So, Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to the rookie listeners. Everyone, have a great week. I'm Ashley at Wealthform Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. We hope you enjoyed this special Rookie Reply episode 200, and we will be back on Wednesday with another episode. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.